Hello, heroes. Welcome to Modifier. I'm your host, Megan Dornbrock. Hey there, heroes. To prepare for our network's fourth anniversary, we're hosting a Patreon drive. The OneShot Network is funded almost entirely by listeners who support us on Patreon. That pays for equipment and games, takes us to conventions, and helps support the people who bring you these shows. We're hoping to bring on lots of new contributors, and to do it, we are bringing back one of the most popular actual plays we've ever done. In order to unlock Feng Shui 3 as the anniversary series that OneShot will feature in August, we want to increase our Patreon to $7,500 a month. If you listen and you like what we do, consider supporting us at the $5 level. That gets you access to the secret archive, where you'll be able to listen to the first part of Feng Shui 3 right now. Just head over to patreon.com slash oneshotpodcast for more information. This week, I talked to Grant Howitt and Chris Taylor about their upcoming game, The Spire. The Spire is going to hit Kickstarter very soon, and I hope this chat gets you just as excited for it as I am. The Spire tackles a lot. Like, a lot. We get drow as good guys, a resistance movement, complicated religious and political webs, the ramifications of treating people like objects, and some weird time shenanigans. There's a lot to look at here, so let's get to the show. So joining me this week, I've got Grant Howitt and Chris Taylor to talk about their upcoming game, The Spire. Um, but why don't the two of you uh, introduce yourselves a little bit, where we might know you from, Some a couple games you've worked on, maybe not all of them. <laughs> yeah, Grant's um, worked on too many games. Yes, yeah. I, I release entirely too many games. Uh, Chris, uh, Chris, why don't we start with you? Yeah, my, my resume is a little bit shorter. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I primarily worked on uh, Unbound with Grant. Um, which was the sort of world-building narrative game we made last year? year yes, before? God, it was last year. Yeah, t- time does fly. Um, that's my only published writing credit mm. so far. Um, mm. But aside from that... I, yeah, it's, it was pretty solid, actually. You know, was, we did okay. yeah. Being that it was my first foray into that, actually, you know, succeeding at Kickstarter was uh, <laughs> quite the moment. But um, you've also designed live games, mainly. I mean, yeah, we, yeah, we did. We, we've done live games historically. We made a, a zombie LARP. What do we call it? What do we call what? Zombie, zombie LARP. <laughs> yeah, we sorry. We call it. It's, it's kind of a running gag. We called our zombie LARP zombie LARP. Oh, good. It was a to avoid thing. confusion. Well, of course. Um, so I mean, you, you know what is going in. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, we did that together, and we we we. we we basically locked people into converted sports halls at university and had the undead chase them around. <laughs> I, I, on the other hand, um, I have... God, they were faulty, weren't they? They, they just didn't work. Yeah, they were cheap. <laughs> I have written uh, something, something which your listeners might have heard of. I wrote Goblin Quest, mm-hmm. uh, which is a, a fun uh, madcap game aimed at children and people who like watching goblins die. Um, <laughs> I co-wrote the new edition of Paranoia, I um, I recently released something called Honey Heist, which has been very popular. Mm-hmm. My is... favorite game that I've never played, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, so Honey Heist is a game in which you are criminal bear with two stats, which are bear and criminal. Mm-hmm. Um, and you, have to, you have to act out an incredibly complicated plan, but unfortunately you are a bear. Mm-hmm. And there's the rub, and, so, and drama generally ensues from that. Excellent. 
Yeah, and, and heroes that uh, are may not be sure if they've encountered any of your games before uh, and, and also listen to One Shot. Uh, the recent Crazy Partiers arc just used Unbound, mm. uh, and yep. I know that they've done uh, a couple other games. I'm sure they've done a um, One Last Job, and if they yes, haven't, they I know did. Senda definitely has over on She's a Super Geek. So yeah, they did. They did a um, they did One Last Job for Criminal Magicians. Mm, that's right. Okay. I, I, they had, I think they had to go to North Korea, <laughs> like North Korea, but worse. <laughs> North um, <laughs> that sounds like something they do. I believe that. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, uh, Senda, Senda will not stop talking about one last job either. She's definitely played it more than I have. Oh yes, yeah. <laughs> I, I've played it with her, and she runs uh, a very good magical girl one last job. Yeah, it's really lovely oh, idea. That amazing. I, I kind of want to get that into the core book. Honestly, yeah. <laughs> you definitely should. It's a fantastic play. Mm. Awesome. And and Grant, you do a lot of one page RPGs, yeah, right? Through I your write, Patreon. I write one 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 page RPG a month which is becoming more and more difficult the more months I do it, as it turns out. I was curious about that. Mm. Uh, so how, how did you get started doing one-page RPGs? Well, I started off doing... Um, so I've had my Patreon for a few years, and I released mm. um, short games. So like One Last Job was done through the Patreon. Um, mm. But generally, what, what the Patreon was there to do was to, make, was to buy uh, cover art. Um, and I had, like, for $15, I will send you a copy of the game. And so when I started writing it, I was like, it's going to be, like, like a pamphlet-sized game, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And then these these, these pages, these, these games are going up to, like, 35, 40 pages, and I was spending more on shipping than I was mm-hmm. uh, getting in through the Patreon. So I basically just ignored it for a couple of years. And then I figured the easiest way that I, that I, I could bring it back to life was, like, the, the, the smallest thing I can send through the mail is a single page. Mm-hmm. And so if I could do a one-page RPG, that's that's a real challenge for me. Uh, yeah. Because it's, like, it's easier to write a five-page RPG than it is to write a one-page RPG quite often. But I've done that, and so and so like people who the, the, the fun thing about the page um, medium is that when people back it um, in in physical terms, as it were, so like, again, fifteen dollars, and I'll send I'll send you out a copy of the game. Um, mm-hmm. I I have like a special back cover of the game, and so like there's generally like there's a hack or there's um, some uh, generally an entirely different game. Um, so, like, I recently released a game called uh, Justified Anxiety, which is not Paranoia. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> um, and so I've written that, and, and so, like, the back the back cover of that game is called True Paranoia, which is a, it's a paranoia rule set where you just put all your dice in the middle of the table and tell your players to pick two. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> you see? See? Yeah. Yep. <laughs> but it's... Mm, it's yeah. It's tricky. It's certainly difficult for one page RPGs. And I want to actually just say that Chris helps me with everything I write, um, <laughs> even before. So we recently incorporated as a company. Um, he, uh, he, I, Excellent. and my wife Mary were a were a three person company releasing games. And so, but even before then, every game that I've put out has been sent to Chris first, and just Chris, there's some, <laughs> is this shit? Does this work? It in my way. And and like you'll you you you. Kind isn't the word. You're you're, you're insightful, and I love you very much, and so that's fine. We we definitely love each other. I think that's how we work well together. That definitely helps. Working with working with anyone else, I've found I get a bit not precious about rules, but I'm convinced that my rules are better. Sure. Um, And (laughs) and like I I know that between Chris and I, we have each other's best interests at heart, and we will we will end up writing the best game possible. And I will tell Um, you when it's absolute bobbins. For sure. And, and and I will write it down so people can read it. It's nice. Yeah, it works out well. We have we have like between us, we equal about one good game designer. Yeah. Oh. No, I mean that's, to be fair, that that's how we wrote Unbound. Like, yeah. Grant, if 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 something sounds amazing and exciting, that's mm-hmm. Grant fixing something I did. 
Cool. It's <laughs> um, like, I, I, I can write a system, I can balance it, but it does not sound exciting. Yeah. Um, generally, okay. And generally what I'll do is like, I'll write a really exciting description of a power. So let's say, for example, like um, writhing tentacles. Uh, you, have a, you have a knot of tentacles bound around your heart and stomach. And then when you get stressed, they burst out of your skin and strangle your enemies. And then at the end, I've just got little square brackets and it says, Mechanics? So, and I send that over to Chris. <laughs> or, Matt, it, please? Yeah, yeah. or it happens in reverse, where I put down a rule and Grant goes, I think that's a fireball. Yeah. <laughs> and then does the description. Yeah, so like we, we, we do top, like, like it's, it's like top-down and bottom-up game design, but we do it at the same time. So it's kind of like, like, we're strafing game design, yeah. I suppose. Yeah. We're, we're, we're moving, moving sideways. sideways. Yeah. Perfect. <laughs> So do you think then, uh, if the one-page RPGs, if that's getting, you know, to be more and more of a challenge, is that something that you're going to keep, you know, trying to do or um, kind of segue it into something else? I, well, I've, I've re- I'm really enjoying writing them. Um, <laughs> and in terms, of, in terms of the amount of work I have to put in versus the amount of money I get out of it, it's a pretty sure. good deal as far as, as far as RPG design goes. I mean, it's, you know, I, I, don't think we're, I don't think we're breaking minimum wage on it. Maybe mm-hmm. we're breaking minimum wage, but mm-hmm. um, it's not it's not fantastic. Um, but I will keep doing. It. I want I want to at least get to twelve, so I can, so I can say I've done it for a year, and then possibly do some sort of collected um, edition, and maybe get some other people to do some drawings and have nicely yeah. laid out versions, and like sell a book, you know, which would be nice. Yeah, because yeah. at the moment they're laid out by you on a piece of A4 paper with a pen. Yeah, which which, fits. which fits. Yeah, it's it's mm-hmm. it's got a sort of rough charm. Rustic. Sure. Rustic. Like an RPG I've found. Yeah, yeah. it's trash. Shut up. <laughs> As a litter. You, your, your, your writing is unintelligible. Yeah, literally unintelligible. Humans, right? could, you can't read your own writing. No. No, it's impossible. Well, that's bad. Yeah, yeah I mean, that is At least issue. you should be able to read it. Yeah. Not to mention your drawings. Do you, do you remember we played that game? And, and, and you were playing Jesus? Yes. And I, you drew I, Jesus? I, I attempted to draw a stick picture of Jesus and it failed. Yeah, it was really bad. It was offensive both to, to artists and oh. to Christians. Yeah, I, yeah um, like, was, uh, Chris, that's uh, impressive, actually. Yeah, Chris I'm, is, not, I'm, I'm not a playing a, yeah, Chris is playing a version of Jesus, and, and I said, "Well, you can play Jesus, but you, but you, you've taken a non-aggression pact because you're Jesus, mm-hmm. so you can't harm anyone." He was like, "Very well, I shall have a page boy." And so Chris mm-hmm. just Chris just he threw the page boy at everyone, yeah. uh, injuring them, mm-hmm. which I, which I don't remember in the Bible, Chris. Was that what book was that in? It's a very long book. Yeah, it's towards the end, probably. Yeah, yeah it's in the appendix. Yeah. yeah. So the two of you work together on, on a lot of these games, it sounds like, and you work in a lot of different, I, I don't know if mediums is the right word, but styles of games, one page, live games, those sort of things. When, when you start working on something, um, do you ever have an idea that, oh, this will be, this will be a, a pen and paper dice game and it turns into a LARP or, or you know, something else so, like that? So I'm just going to quickly describe our um, <laughs> system yes, for writing a game, which is within a day we write a full game. And it's not. Oh, is that all? <laughs> yeah, no, but it's. It's not done yet. It's not done yeah. yet because what we do then is we go no and throw it away, <laughs> and then we use a completely different medium to tell the same story, and then we go mm, this is not quite right, is it? And then we do this another twelve times. Yeah. Okay. Uh, the Spire, instance, the Spire um, was on its sixteenth rewrite. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and Bound oh, started wow. as dice, then went cards, then went dice, then a different kind of cards, then tarot cards. Okay. Yeah. 
And oh, Christ, the door, Chris. Do you remember that? Yeah, that was that was a nightmare. That has. Um, I, I, I think we actually used every method of of um of, of random number data. generation until yeah. eventually we ended up having like the system for the door. So it's only been released to high level unbound backers, but it's a kind of a, a magical, uh, almost like a magical realism uh, dimension uh, dimensional hopping game. Um, it has a hundred specially written cards, which just like you deal, you deal six to each player at the start of the game, and that tells you what tells you what the outcomes of your actions are. Um, so like it's it's like you make all your dice rolls before. <laughs> it's yeah. just it's bollocks. <laughs> it's a lovely idea for a game, but um, we really wrote it for far too long. Yeah. Oh. Do you ever go back to games? Oh yeah, we don't have original yeah. ideas. Um, the Spire is a I'm going to say it's a repurposing of an idea I had three years ago when I was trying to fix Dark Heresy. Mm, yeah. Okay. Um, and that has that has since grown and mutated into something into a very different beast. But um, yeah, I've got uh, like we we we've both got back pockets of games which we go back to. Okay. Um, and, and, and as you asked earlier, in terms of us making something into a LARP, I'm I've really tried over the last few years to stop doing LARPs because they're just a big hole you can put money into. They're really yeah. expensive and they're tremendously hard work. Yeah, um, I mean, if, if you want to eat on the regular, mm-hmm. a LARP is not the way to go. I think, yeah. I think I think there's about five people in the world who make money off LARPs. Mm-hmm. Not very. It's not. It's not a very good business model, honestly. Uh, we were doing okay towards the end of our um, towards the end of our zombie LARP thing. I think we were making about two and a half grand a game, which is pretty good. But we, yeah. we could we could only afford to run them like three four times a year. Um, so it's not like, you know, we were, we weren't paying the rent off that. Right. Um, and you know, we had to pay people that we had like 20, 20 odd crew as well. Um, but like LARPs are strange and curious and fun. And like, I want to run a Metal Gear Solid LARP. Ooh, yeah. Um, which, has, which has a mini game where, um, the, 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 the mini boss has, can talk to the Solid Snake character about like whatever list of topics, like the true meaning of war or what it means to be a soldier. And mm-hmm. um, and Snake can interrupt them just by saying their own words back to them in a questioning tone. And there's kind of a, I'm not sure what the mini game is there. Yeah. There's, there's something I want to do with that. Also, um, every, metal, every every Solid Snake character gets their own Hideo Kojima, who is just, just yeah. the, guy, the guy in a black turtleneck and like he'll, yeah. be your, he'll be your codec and if you fire like the heat seeking missile, uh, you tell your Hideo where you want it to go and he'll run away with it and throw it at the enemy, that sort of thing. It's very, it's very, it's very high concept. Mm. Yeah, it's mm. an art piece. Mm. Well, much like Metal Gear Solid, yeah. Yeah, Absolutely. pretty much. <laughs> it fits the genre, I like it. What about um, games that you have, uh, you know, put out there and published already? Do you ever uh, address those again? You know, like come back to do another version or anything like that? Or are they just done? We've um, done another version of Unbound. Yeah. Um, mm, okay. Converted it to D20. It works really nicely, actually. Yeah, I'm, nice. I, I much prefer it to the card version. You don't, from what no, I can tell. No, I, I, I like the card version. Um, the, the big thing about the card version for me was the fact that your deck becomes your character sheet. And your hit points. Right. And your hit points. And you've got this, this artifact. Because like, I've mm. got stacks and stacks of old, my old players' character sheets. Mm. Yeah. Because I keep them. Because they're, they're like a piece of history. Mm. And having a deck of cards with like all of the scars that this character has accrued, mm, all, the, all of the victories and glories as well, is a That's wonderful really cool. is a wonderful thing. Mm. It's a wonderfully nice thing to have. Um, and you don't get that with the D twenty system. It's just a character sheet. Yeah, the so, uh, the D twenty system is more 
it's a bit more, I suppose, OSR leaning. It's a bit more, um, a bit more traditional. Yeah, a bit more trailing. It's a bit more free floating. The uh, the battle system in Unbound is very much everyone sit down, we're having a battle, and it really does tactical fights in an interesting cinematic way. And I'm really chuffed we've done it. Yeah. Uh, but I wanted uh, one of the problems uh, with it is you can't really play it online. And mm. it turns out a lot of people play games online these days. Yeah. yeah so uh, so I um, we, we, we're, we're looking at doing a second edition of that, maybe with a better printer, because the first printer we had didn't work out very well, um, okay. and work out how to do that. Um, I've also been meaning to rewrite one last job for about three years, but other things have gotten in the way. Sure. Um, they do that. Plus, we get um, distracted really easily. Oh, we get, yeah. we get so easily distracted. I mean, let alone from like work. Like, like, mm. like we'll get distracted by ongoing projects. But like, we both work from home at our computers, and that's where all the games are. Yep. Like, what a nightmare. Uh huh. Oh, I, I understand that struggle yeah. very, very deeply. Yeah. <laughs> Chris, you mentioned the cards. Like having that artifact is that something that you you look to do now in um in the games that you create, or is that was that just sort of a, a nice happy accident of Unbound? It it started as a happy accident, but honestly, it's something I like to try and get into games where you get like one of the big things that everybody likes about games is the memories they create, mm-hmm. um, and like being able to say, "Oh, do you remember that time we did X?" Mm. Um, and Things like those, like the card system of Unbound, makes that physical. Yeah. And it, I don't know if we can translate it into every game, but I want every single game we have to have that same feeling, if, if yeah. not the actual artifact. I, I think like it's, it's quite hard to make artifacts if you don't have art, an artistry skill, as it were. So just having something you write on this and you make a physical 3D object which you can hold, and like, you can still play cards with them. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so you can, you, know, you can play patience as well. You, you're not like we used to. Have, we we had one rule set of Unbound where you, where you tore up a card, um, physically is, destroyed it, which yeah. is just despicable. Yeah, <laughs> uh, people hated doing that, and I'm glad we took it out again. Yeah, <laughs> it's kind of like a hazing bonding ritual as well. Like like you'd all get around the table, shuffle, then draw a card and tear it in half, and everyone was like, <laughs> oh, "Yeah, people couldn't handle it." The, the the reason we cut it more than any is that. When we were sitting down to play this, like, right, okay, you, everybody starts the game with something ha- bad happening in their history. So draw a card at random and destroy it. And everybody just went, no. No, what? No. I'm not running a deck, a deck of cards. How dare you? I mean, even like the cheapest available cards, there's something inviolate about them. A bit like um, tearing out a page of a book. They are, they are a, a complete thing. And if you mess with it, they become wrong and broken. Mm-hmm. Oh. And they just couldn't. They just could not ha- handle it. Which is something we yeah. really wanted to do with the door. Like, so, so the, the way that the door started off is we were like, we had all these really like technically uh, card abuse mechanics from mm-hmm. Unbound, and we were like, how can we just fuck up cards in the most exciting way possible? And so we wrote the door, and what, what, what I had this big list of taboos, the things you don't do with cards. Where we were like, mm-hmm. all right. Let's have each one of these be a class. And so, like, during playtesting, we had someone who, like, folded the cards and made them into a little tower. And we had one character who only played with other people's decks of cards, so like, like a possessing spirit. Mm. Um, and you write other people's cards and, like, you can infect other people's decks. And it was a nice idea, but, um, yeah, not actually... What's the word? Playable? Yeah, nobody yeah. would play Yeah, nobody would play that now. I mean, shit, I wouldn't play. It sounds awful. Exactly. <laughs> What? How have cards wronged you in your life that you felt the need to do this? It's the way the jacks look at me. Mm. That's like they killed your dog. Yeah, I mean, jacks did kill my dog as well. Yeah. They came out. They came out, and mm, that would do it. It's horrible. Paper cuts everywhere. Yeah. Nightmare. All right. So the spire. 
Hmm. Which is what we're here to talk about. You you mentioned that it came from, uh, you were trying to correct Dark Heresy? Yeah, I made a science fantasy heartbreaker. Yeah, what's wrong with Dark Heresy? What Whatever uh, could be wrong with it? Uh, <laughs> come on, don't... don't. Don't make me. It's like it's like it's like you're asking me to put a pillow over an aged dog's mouth. It's like look, look. I I love the setting of Dark Heresy. I want right. to say that, and I I ran a two year campaign which Chris was in, using these rules which I do not like. Um, it's just like I like writing games where you say yes to the players. Like, yeah. can we do this? Yes. Why not? That sounds fun. And like, yes, you can do this, and it will cause some problems, but you did it anyway. And Dark Heresy is a whole game of no. Yeah. Um, until you work out that what you need to do is get a semi-automatic shotgun and walk within three meters of someone, at which point mm-hmm. you can you can basically kill everyone. My players discovered that, and then everything changed. <laughs> I um. I, I didn't enjoy Dark Heresy in that way. I didn't feel like right. it was... I felt also that uh, I, I skewed more towards story games as well, and I felt like there's this fantastic story, which is the idea that your, that your acolytes, your inquisitorial acolytes, are becoming more radical, and like they, they start off quite idealistic, and then how do they change that? And like also they're spies, so like what lies are they willing to tell? What, um, what are they willing to give up and sacrifice for the victory of the Imperium? And I felt that Dark Heresy wasn't doing that. What it was was a game in which you ran out of bullets and had no money. And so, <laughs> yeah. and so I put together this, um, obviously entirely unofficial uh, system where you played um, agents. I think it was called Shadow War. I think uh, you play mm-hmm. you play Inquisitorial agents, and you go through and you have this, you know, this quite a broad list of skills. It's a D10 based system. And then I moved countries uh, twice and didn't really figure, didn't really do anything with it. Um, but it went through a few different shifts, and I was like, well, obviously I can't publish it. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't put it out using Dark Heresy, so I was interested in taking the taking the ideas of having a sort of science fiction or fantasy um, espionage game um, and what how, what I could transpire that into. And so I came up on the idea, wouldn't it be interesting to play um, Drow, who yeah. were uh, Drow who were sort of agents of the High Elves? Mm-hmm. And, um, and, then, and then I bought Chrysid and things shifted. <laughs> what did you do to it, Chris? Um, primarily, it was it, the, my problem with it was the fact that you were spies, mm. um, and that you, it was this kind of espionage setting. And Grant had Grant had made it in this enormous city, and I couldn't work out who you were spying on. Yeah, or, or, or indeed what your actions were going to achieve. Yeah, like why? Why is that a thing? What's What's the narrative? So we just we just flipped it and had it as a rebellion. Okay. So the drow um, of used to own the spire were ousted, were ousted by the uh, the the high elves, and now they're trying to take their city back but, through. I mean, through still espionage. So there's still it's, it's, you know destruction of supply lines. And, yeah. yeah, but it's it's rebellion. It's not. It's, it's not an all-out war because, like, we weren't really interested in, in t- telling a story. I mean, actually, I am interested in writing a game about war, but this wasn't it. And I was interested. I, I, I think having having like the espionage mechanics of sneaking around and spying on people and lying and disguise and um, like critical strikes uh, really interested me. And then Chris was like, "How about we make it about resistance?" And from uh, like from my point of view, as I get older and become more liberal, the idea of role playing a resistance and role playing a rebellion, there's definitely that's definitely scratching an itch mm-hmm. there for me. 
because um, I'm not super happy with the with the uh, West's gradual decline into all encompassing fascism. And I think that there's there's there's, there's a nice um, there's a nice uh, cathartic experience to playing a game where maybe we can change something. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, looking through kind of what you've got so far for the spire. Um... Hats off to you for reading through that document. <laughs> Flicking through that document. Yeah, there were there were skimming. Um, but, <laughs> that's that's uh, entirely fair. <laughs> uh, no, but uh, so so you are you're playing these drow, which there's um, you've got several different classes to to choose from, all of whom are really interesting, and I definitely want to talk about. But uh, mechanically, so uh, what are what are we able to do to to affect this change? The key things that you've got is uh, the the progress system in the game, rather than ex- experience points. Mm-hmm. is affecting change. So we have three levels of abilities, low, medium, and high. Right. And literally, if you change the spire in a, in a small way, if you manage to remove the corrupt police um, sergeant. sergeant in an area, that's a, that's a small change, but it's for the better. So you get a small upgrade. You get a low power out of it. Mm. Whereas if you liberate an entire district and the book is largely devoted to the districts and uh, the world of the spire then you get um, all the way up to a high upgrade and one of the things that we wanted to do was to take these upgrades and take the upgrades and the equipment style from like dungeons and dragons where you've got you know a, a steady progression up and as you go up you get more and more powerful equipment and kind of turn that round on itself so you've got the narrative style of going up levels in quotation marks. But also our version of equipment is what's called allies. So if you save an orphanage, you gain the orphanage as an ally. And you can then send them into war. If you yeah. want to. You, but you, but, but you, now you can have a, you know, a Holmesian schoolboy detective network. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you can set up anything you need to with the ally system. One of the one of the questions we are interested to, to answer is what what happens when you start treating people like things, and so oh. I think like the most um, because like what what one of the big that was my original driving question behind the espionage game was because um, one of the core abilities in espionage is to completely detach yourself from any sort of human emotions you have and just treat people as assets. Mm-hmm. And so, rather than having magic items, like our our, our our equipment system is very, very basic. It's just like occasionally you get a dice out of it. We weren't really interested in having, um, like, oh, I've got a plus one, uh, I've got a plus one sword, I've got a plus two enchanted hammer. Um, and instead of instead of equipment, we have allies. And so, in the same way, where you clear a dungeon and you get a pair of magic boots that a dragon was inexplicably wearing, you would now get a you now get the orphanage. You now get the um, well, shit, we played a game last night. Um, and Chris, um, Chris managed to sort out a. Um, what, what, what was? How, how would you describe your new allies? So, one of the areas in the spire is called Grist. Uh, think of it like nightmare underground Dickensian London. <laughs> um, and in the depths of a warehouse in Grist is the king of the ghouls, a, man, a creature called King Teeth. Um, who's who's a god for all for all these ghouls or these flesh eating creatures? An unwilling uh, god, we should know as well. Yes, they mm-hmm. just keep praying to him, and he's and so like he's he's a he's a crude godlike powers which he simply cannot handle. Um, so by the end of the session, my character had made a deal with King Teeth, 
to if we need him we can call on him i.e we gained him as an ally however we have to supply grist with a steady and manageable um, flow of corpses okay like Uh, you do yeah as you do and so um i like a lot of the games like one of the things we're interested in talking about is about death and about bodies and about um the afterlife and about religion there's a lot of religion yeah there's a huge amount of religion um one of our playtest games, uh, over half of the over half of the player group were insane religious leaders. Mm. Not, and like, they weren't playing the insane religious leader class. They came from very different walks of life. I should stress, it just sort of happened. Yeah. Oh, that's that's really interesting. I like that that so many different classes have sort of gravitated towards that. It's, it says mm. a lot about the power, I guess, you can wield yeah. in that position. Yeah. I mm. mean, the the ministry, the the group that you ostensibly work for in this subterfuge capacity mm-hmm. is a religious organization at its heart. Yeah, they're like the Masons crossed with the CIA. Um, and the the Elphir, the High Elves, are, again, heavily religious. And it's about that kind of antagonistic religious mm. animosity um, that's, that's keeping certain areas subjugated and certain areas in, in control. Uh, one of the things which we which, which we which we looked into the game because like because like writing the game and updating the setting it's sort of like as I'm sure you're aware when you write a story in this sort of way when you write a setting it's an organic process like it's it's, it's not it's not like you sit down and say wait this is a truth and then we're gonna uh, and we're never gonna change that everything rolls mm-hmm. forward and changes and shifts and so um, our, our our dark elf religion has kind of evolved and when I say dark elf religion I don't want to suggest that everywhere in this world all dark elves worship the same religion um, and like we've tried to We've tried to make every race, as it were, as feel as multifaceted and interesting and chewy as possible. But mm-hmm. like like the, the primary dark elf religion, originally there's a, a there's a, a trinity of moon goddesses that were worshipped, and the, the high elves rocked up and they just cut off two of the moon goddesses. Said, right, you're allowed to worship the nice one, and so worship <laughs> of the other two has been driven underground. Uh, and because I was interested in seeing like when. When when someone rocks up and takes over, what do they do to your religion? What, how, how do they change? How do they neuter your faith? How do they neuter your communities? And how does that make you feel? Yeah. Oh wow. Man, this game covers like a lot of a lot of things, and uh, okay. I'm I'm curious what drew you to exploring it through the Drow, because I, I know that they're um, they're a fantasy race that uh, gets brought up a lot as mm. as having quite a few problems. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> Um, for for me, it, there was a couple of reasons. Um, I'm sure Grant has wildly different ones, um, but partly because the, one of the re, one of the issues with trying to create this kind of rebellion and this reclaiming of a city mm-hmm. is why don't you just go and find another city? Well, because this this is the only city, the only structure in the world that's large enough to support the drown, keep them out of the sunlight. Mm. You can't just have drow suddenly moving across the country trying to find a new home. Sure. Because they can't go outside. You know, it physically burns right. them. And there's... I, I, I think as well, like, one thing which I was interested in doing is I wanted to try and put a human face on the drow. Mm-hmm. Um, because all too often, um, like, I mean, it, let's, let's just address this. In D&D, they're literally elves in blackface. Yeah. And that's and that that's hugely problematic. Um, so we wanted to try and take the idea of drow and make them the good guys, but not have like they have this ridiculous evil empire and you're and you're you're the main characters. 
but more you, like you have this like there are there are lots of different elven nations there are lots of different things and you're in this melting pot where everything's coming together and you are you have been horrendously put upon uh for for years and years and years and you are now attempting to fight back and i think the reason why we came from drow is that i i i think that i mean the phrase they've been given a bad rap is perhaps a little bit unfair because they were like much like half orcs like i i think i actually have a bigger problem with half orcs because half orcs are a stand-in race for black people in right. D&D, and that makes me hugely uncomfortable Whenever someone's like, well, like, 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 especially in D and D three point five, um, just, just, and just, just about the ideas of parentage and sexual abuse around that. There's just so much. There's so much like othering, and yeah. there's so much, and like, there's, there's the exoticism of it, but also the brutality of it. And like, the elves get the good end of the othering because you know they're, they're oh, they're, they're, they're from the mysterious far places of the world, and they're beautiful and fine and gentle, and the orcs are brutish and rough and stupid, and, um. I really, I really got hugely uncomfortable with that. So I wanted to try and look at drow and be like, well, what if they were people? And what if they had a different morality system from from humans? Um, and so, like, one of the things which one of the things which I've got into is I've is like uh, we've uh, we the, the I, I've spearheaded this, but Chris has obviously helped out. Is we've worked out what the drow virtues are, what drow believe society should be like, and how how five hundred years of being continually dicked on by Elphir and expanding humans from the West, how that shaped their culture and what they think good is. Like, for example, um, one of the like, of the core High Elf faiths, there's no thou shalt not steal. Mm. It's more, it's, 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 it's more that like you will help your community, you will help other elves, but if you can steal something, my God, do it. And there's, okay. and there's a great deal of vigilance and understanding and being aware of the world as though, like, as though they've lived underground for 500 years because they catch fire when they go outside. Yeah. But also, it's been it's been really interesting to look at the drow and their their biological place in the world, mm-hmm. and how they sustain themselves and how they sustain their race. Mm-hmm. Um, because there's not really that much discussion of like drow childbirth in D and D. We have oh. we have got into drow childbirth a surprising amount. We have a class based around it in a bizarre yeah. way. Okay, yeah. yeah, I saw a little bit about that. Yeah, so drow give birth to essentially egg sacs. Mm-hmm. That are then tended, fed with um, blood, and you can get like different vintages of blood. The very rich people <laughs> can get like famous people's blood <laughs> to feed their child, uh, but the the people who tend the the eggs are called midwives, and the midwives are genetically um, spider like, mm. so they they exhibit traces of of spider of spider like um, anatomy. And a lot, so, a lot of the class abilities focus around amping up those um, those traces. So you'll get some that just that, that just look like normal drow, but have eight eyes. <laughs> or you'll have like their their skin is chitinous, or God, all the way up to the full like abdomen under a bustle. Yeah, <laughs> or all the way up to to a full drider. Mm. You know, to the full half person, half spider. And um, like we, we we were interested in, in having the idea that like we, we wanted to have like a tank class, which was a not 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 like not a not a mother class, but like a, a a community guardian. And so like someone like just like the idea of breaking into the high elf, um, sorry, in, 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 into the dark elf breeding chamber, and then suddenly there's like six terrifying spider women screaming <laughs> along the roof at you. 
mm. um, spitting spitting venom and tying up in webs. That just that strikes me as a really lovely thing to put in roleplay. They haven't made it through to the court book, unfortunately, but they are in one of the stretch goals. Yeah, um, but Ooh, also okay. it, it ties back into into that kind of people as things mm. because you don't you you the child doesn't grow up with the parents. Quite okay, quite yeah. often, the you know the child is is separate for the first first bit of its life, um, and that kind of reflects in their um, their feelings towards other people. I think as well, like the the durance that dark elves have to spend in the spire, so they they have to work for free for four years under a high elf lord if they're if they're allowed to live in the in the spire. Mm-hmm. And I think again, like we keep coming back to this people as things trope, and like you've been treated as a thing. How are you going to how, how are you going to work this out? And so like so um the um in one of our playtest games it happened on Sunday, the uh, the group literally committed genocide. Oh. Um, by by like it was it happened and I was like guys this is genocide you're aware of this I was like yeah yes yeah I, I, we we believe this is justified and it was okay. like it just it happened and like uh, w- one of the things we were really keen to look at and actually one of the things we're interested in looking at in our games is not to have uh, we're not interested in writing edgy games where like you would you play the bad guys and sure. and you're really mean and you have long coats and silent silver pistols but more like we don't want to say this is right and this is wrong uh, that's up to your group to decide and it's up to your GM to decide and I think the story like stories which I'm hugely interested in telling are people doing reprehensible things which they hate for reasons they know to be good yeah because partly partly you you need that choice mm. like uh, a, a paladin to me isn't good because they're they've chosen to be lawful good mm. the really good paladins are the ones that have fallen and made up for it mm. they have gone through the atonement so you can't really have these virtuous heroes without giving them the option to be awful yeah, and then choosing to choosing not evil interesting so we very much made sure to put that in all the way yeah. through and that you yeah. always you always have a choice however how how far how mm. what's the balance how far are you going to push this yeah right um and i i think these are all like really just fascinating and 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 necessary like things to explore um but I'm I'm curious. Uh, I don't know if it's if it's as common with uh, your play groups, um, but there is definitely a, a, you know something on the rise over here where we've got a lot of uh, like like safety measures, I guess, mm. in play when we play games. And the and the X card. I don't know if that's made it yeah, all sure. over there yet. Yeah, okay. No, yeah, I'm I'm curious how that works with this play style. How you. We uh, we endorsed the X card. Um, I think I think I mentioned it in Unbound. Is it is it Unbound, Chris? Yes, it is. I believe. Yeah. Um, so I'll and I'll mention it again in this when when we write the GMing section. I believe the X card is a brilliant tool um, okay. because uh, like lines and veils for me. Um, I I'm perfectly happy discussing things that I don't want brought up in a game. But mm. I, but um, that's because they're fairly basic things, which which people could expect not to have come up in the game. But uh, one of the, the problem with lines and veils for me is that when when you state what they are, you have to say, "Hey, people I've never met, here's a list of my fears," and that yeah. that's that can be quite confronting and unpleasant. Um, so I think that if you're comfortable saying things you don't want in the game, absolutely fine. But uh, the key phrase, the key phrase which which we which we've used, um, which I've tried to which I've tried to help people uh, get through this is, "I'm not interested in telling a story about that." And so, mm. like, like, um, like the mechanics of the story is fine, but like, it can come down to anything. Like, either you find it reprehensible and don't want to tell a story about, it, or it's like, you know what? I don't think you should have killed that guy. I don't think that fits the tone of the game we're working towards here. Can we have a discussion about that? 
and the GM can step in and say, well, you know what, actually, I think that's, that's really, that's really uh, a miscommunication of tone there. C- can you try something else? Yeah. And then you can work towards the same ends, but have a discussion about, about what you're going for. But the X-Card for me really works. We've had one on the table in every single session I've run since I learned about it, and I've never had it. It's never been used. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the fact that it's there, it's a, it's a, it's a safe point. It lets, it, lets, it lets you push boundaries. It, it lets you be gross. And mm-hmm. everyone, everyone understands that if they're uncomfortable at any time, they can step out and no one's going to think any less of them. Yeah, yeah it's oh, very important. Fun. And we, we, we very much, as I say, we give people the choice to, to, to do bad. We hope they're going to do good. Yeah, sure. Like, um, like the, the, idea, the idea is that you're doing good and you're doing good even though it's harder than doing bad. And that's the, that's the, that's the overall theme, I think, which we're interested in exploring. But yeah, we we do very much keep that that X card and the the concepts of it yeah. in mind throughout the book. I think, and what, one of the interesting things about writing Unbound is because um, it's very um, player facing. Uh, it's like it, it like the world and the characters are all built by the games master and the player uh, during session zero, and so and the port and everything sort of bubbles up together in this rich soup. But that mm-hmm. gives that gives the, I think that gives the players agency to step in and say, actually, I don't want to do this. And it also gives them a measure of distance from their characters because the characters are part of this world which they've all just invented, where people don't get quite so precious about people saying, "Can you not do that with your character, please?" Yeah. Um, like I get, I get really infuriated when people are like, "Well, that's what my character would do." Well, you made the character. Yeah. Um, and that 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 it's never a fun situation when that phrase comes out. Absolutely. So. Kickstarter. Uh, Spire is going to be a game that you're kickstarting in July. Yes. Do you want to tell us about that a little bit? Um, I, I, I know you've mentioned already a few things that are going to show up in stretch goals. Yeah. So one of the first things that we'll be having as a stretch goal, if stretch goals are what you're interested in, is <laughs> uh, more art. Because I don't know if you've seen a copy of Unbound uh, in the flesh. It's beautiful. That is all, all of that art in that book is one man. And he oh is God. he is a wizard, and he is, again. he is illustrating the spire, and he's doing yeah. every bit of art in the spire, yeah. I believe, except for the map. Yeah, we get we're getting in we're getting in a special lunatic to draw the map. He is crazy, <laughs> um, but like yeah. we we are making sure that there is a, like we're putting in a lot of art already. Don't get me wrong there. Very cool. But like Unbound is an excellent like coffee table book because almost every other page has some art on it. Um, and we want to do that again with the, with the spire. We, like one of the one of the core things with the that we made sure to do with the company is that we don't want to put out low quality products because they're cheaper. We'd rather put out a more expensive product that lasts forever, and that's why we were so livid with the company that did the first round of so, printing. Um, so uh, we we use Lightning Source, and it was like they do fine books at A5 scale. Once you hit A4 at a certain size, a certain size, they just don't have the quality through their print on demand. Uh, situation and like it's fine but we got an unusual amount of complaints people let's say oh like my book isn't properly affixed to the spine my pages have been like uh, isn't isn't printed properly and so like they were fine for goblin quest the first book about because it was small format um Mm -hmm. but we've uh we're in talks with a company in the uk called belmont who do all the printing for games workshop and like they're not cheap but we believe that we'd rather offer something beautiful and hard wearing um and and like because it's kickstarter we can we can adjust the the you know like if it's going to add three grand to our to our funding we can do it and so we can put that on and like we we can still make money we can still pay our authors and we can make sure that we're not going to end up in massive amounts of debt because kickstarter is very good for that but they they do really beautiful um 
they are really beautiful books, and so we're interested in going with them. Um, and Addy, of course, is... God, he's so good at drawing, Chris. It's ludicrous. Mm-hmm. Do oh have a look at his website. What's uh, the website again? Stoneadrian.com. Mm. Um, the man is a wizard. Mm. And crucially, like, we'll occasionally just go, Addy, could you draw us a picture of a, 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 an elf here with a mask on? I'm like, yeah, all right. And he comes back once in, like, two hours. <laughs> What we're what we're expecting when when we get this email is like you know a, a swift line drawing. Mm-hmm. Coloured it. Yeah, it's it's all fully coloured. It's all in like, rays. It's all it's already in our book. The, um, dimensions. Um, the uh, the illustrations in Unbound. I think we asked for two changes. Yeah. And everything else, uh, everything else was his first pass, and we're like, fuck it, that's beautiful. Well done. Yeah. Like he just got it. I can't recommend hiring him enough. Oh, um, although, although I, I actually maybe you shouldn't hire him because it's going to drive his prices up. Yeah. Also, mm. don't hire him until well after July because he's yeah. busy. He's busy. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> he's ours. Yeah. <laughs> can't have you've, you've captured this wizard. Yeah. <laughs> he's our picture witch. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. Um, I think one of the stretch goals we've got lined up. Um, so we're interested, like this after coming to the back of writing unbound which was a book with no setting whatsoever we've we've focused on a lot of setting Mm -hmm. um and like i traditionally i'm i'm in two minds about that i'm 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 never really happy to to try and in fact it's actually something i I, i'd be interested to hear chris's uh, words on as well because um although i like reading setting i don't like having to read setting to play a game ah okay That, that, that frustrates me and so uh, how how did you find you felt about writing it though, especially after writing Unbound, where you didn't have any? Oh god, it's so much easier. We had to we had to go difficult. through we had to go through and make the powers sound less exciting in Unbound <laughs> because because they were establishing too much of a setting, mm-hmm. and, like, and if, if we imply a setting, that's gonna that's gonna block people off from using them. Like case in point, we we in Unbound we had uh, one power which we called foolishly Sniper. Literally everybody in the playtest took it because it was called a class. So it, uh. it, it suddenly defined them mm. when they weren't, they weren't putting whatever they wanted onto the power. So when the we changed it to power. extreme range. Yeah, no one took it. No one took it. <laughs> exactly the same wording. No one took it. Oh my gosh. And it's, it was really interesting to see. Oh. So this time what we've done is we've rolled the classes into the setting. Mm. Um, yeah, originally what they were is rather than being classes, they were backgrounds. Mm-hmm. And they were which part of the spire you came from. And there's still trace elements of that. You I can know, still kind still, of get still a pretty much are that, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so they do have a lot of setting in, but again, you can change it, you can move stuff around. I, I think like we wanted every class to be um, immediately graspable, but you don't have to read up much more. Like we've got the paragraph at the top, and it's like, okay, you're in charge of this, you're from mm-hmm. here. Here's here's something snappy. You, you can go for it. And generally, like throughout the playtests, even though people haven't read the frankly enormous setting book, everyone's got it because because like if you view it that they cut there's there's no wrong way they can do it because like we we're very improv every GMs both of us. And I think like this setting book is here to inspire you. But what your players say supersedes it. What you think supersedes it. And so we've got we've got the Knights of the North Docks, for example, who are kind of like. Gangsters in quarter plate who can legally carry swords and they own pubs instead of castles. Mm-hmm. And 
we've, we've had one of those in every single playtest because they're a really nice, snappy class to play. They're immediately graspable. But every single person has done their own spin on what it means to be a knight who's effectively fallen. Mm. Um, yeah. And we've tried to do that for every single class. Like, you you learn about the setting by reading through the class list, and then you learn about the bit of the setting that you're interested in by reading through your powers, and then you can explore more and, you know, I think, I think we've done a pretty good job of that. Do you not have to read the setting book to play the game and to play it competently with that with that level of, of knowledge that looks like you've you've read the book, you know? Yeah. Um, but mm-hmm. the book provides an awful lot of different uh, adventure seeds. It's, um, it's a good read as well, I think. It's yeah, um, but it provides those extra, uh, those extra bits of information if you want to go, ah, that's a cool idea, I'll take that. Mm. And you can use just that bit, and like there's there, there's little throwaway bits in it as well that um, I, I kind of forcibly got Grant to put in um, <laughs> that are like campaign frames. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. So the default is you know this this subterfuge rebellion. However, for instance, in the industrial district, there's the one surviving um, drow private investigation firm. And if you want to run PI games, you can. Like the games will support it as well. Um, oh, excellent. There's one street which Chris insisted on putting into the nightmare reality breaking center of the spire, which contains an entire other spire in mirror. Yeah. Uh, and it's like, oh, okay, that's there, sure, why not? <laughs> and the thing is, like, don't want to use it? Don't go there. Yeah. Like, that, that's, that street is not specifically marked on a map. Like, it's not, right. if you turn left here, you will walk into this. Yeah. It's just, in this area, there's some stuff. I will say, like, um, one of the things that's, which has been really lovely from writing a setting is that we have, uh, we have, so I mentioned earlier, that there's, there's the heart of the spire. And the fact the spire is so tall and so stable, reality started to rot inside it. It's like it, it shouldn't be standing. And so right at the heart, there's this sort of the, like, this, the spiritual idea of decay starting to rot down the walls between worlds, which is, which means we can just get super weird. Oh, we can, good. We can put whatever we want in there. It's always the heart, isn't it? It's just... Okay, good. Because that, that actually, I had a question I wanted to, to ask mm-hmm. about the, um, I, I was skimming through some of the, the classes and the, uh, the sage. Yeah, the, the, the Vermissians. Yes, you've got a reference in one of their uh, abilities that um, the dead drop. Yeah, uh, you find a, a hidden stash of equipment from you know someone else, or you from an anomalous history, which yeah. I I loved that. So I, I I was curious to see how weird we could get, and it sounds like yeah. very weird. So the, the, the Vermissian Sage is at the very heart of it an information broker. At the heart, they 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 have uh, old abandoned never finished subway tunnels into which they've built an oh, enormous yeah. library. They're trying to catalogue all of the drow history before the Elphir destroy it. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're, they're, t- they're taking knowledge and they're accidentally filtering it into something else. And because of the, their proximity to this weirdness, like they can open any door and run into the in, in, into their libraries. So they can open. It. We've had players open cupboards oh. and run into there. And it's like it, it's it's a once per game thing, and you really can't bring anyone else in unless you want to go mad. Or they'll have, you know they'll occasionally just like mid combat they'll throw themselves they'll throw themselves an item they need yeah. as they run past each other. Which is not, like, we, we don't, we, we, we have a pretty broad brush when it comes to time travel and multi-dimensions, which is just, yeah, shut up, it's fine. Yeah. Uh, we don't, we don't try to enforce it. It's fun to do it. Like, honestly, if it's giving you a plus two, I don't care if it's come from, the, from like extreme training or the fact that you turned up and helped yourself. Yeah. Like, that's yeah, fine. So things things do get very, very weird. 
Um, but like we cut most of the weirder classes out of the game. Yeah. Um, because mm. um, we couldn't. Well, because one, they're quite hard to write, and sure. two, um, we felt that they were getting away from the core message of this is like like a people's rebellion. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, like the Blood Witch, which is Chris's pet class. Yeah, I love the Blood Witch. They have. Who uh, doesn't? She she goes into the middle of the middle of the spire and comes back with a sort of magical blood disease, and um, it makes and she has basically she's a hacker. Yeah. Okay. So if if you imagine that like the base form of a Blood Witch is those awfully terrifying Japanese ghosts from Japanese Ooh, horror yes. films, you know that jittering, flickering mm-hmm. in and out. That's how they are naturally, and they have to glamour themselves every day to look normal so they have to they have to expend a portion of their resources every day to keep to keep the facade up which they can drop if they need to yeah. mm-hmm. um, but they're they're hackers so imagine like a sci-fi setting but convert it to blood magic cut her palm and put it on the wall of a building and feel every heartbeat in it and where they are yeah. And we, we we tried to take like we, we had we wrote down a list of hacker powers and then it's like okay but how how could a wizard do this through blood diseases? Uh-huh. Uh, we've got that and we've got like the hunger witch which is really problematic. A lot yeah, of that's boys. super problematic. Yeah, they 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 mm. can we can we talk about the hunger witch, Chris? You can try. <laughs> the pitch for the hunger witch is really strange because initially we were like, what if the witch um, gave birth to monsters? And then I was like, well, I've written up a few, but it's just like monstrous feminine. We're not really interested in doing that. And it's like, mm-hmm. oh, like, 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 if a woman couldn't give birth to a child, what a horrendous creature that would be. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, well, why can we make it a bloke? Oh, okay, that's interesting. Cool. So The Hunger Witch Rules is written, builds wombs. Sure. And then creates things within them. Um, like so, like he he kind of goes and has sex with some dirt for a while, and then kind of a nightmare pig crawls out, and it's a really hard sell to the roleplay crowd. So we're not sure. Imagine. We're not sure how to make that work because normally, like you know, you turn up to your, to your session, you tell a few goofs, you have mm-hmm. some pizza, and then like, oh, okay, guys, what are we gonna do? How are we gonna sort this out? Well, tell you what, I'm gonna make a, a womb out of some dirt. I'm then gonna fuck it for a while, and then we'll have a pig. And just in terms of problem solving, it seems difficult. It, it, it sure. also isn't that comedy. No, I'd like to point out. Like, no, sorry, the fire isn't comedy, but like, but like, but like, you, that's the thing that you can present it in that way. And the general mm-hmm. tone of role playing games is generally quite light. Yeah, yeah. Um, but that's why that's why we we didn't want to put it in the core book. Like, that we don't honestly, it's one of those things we don't even know if we're going to release. Yeah, we're not sure but at it, the moment. Um, but it's it'll be. Yeah, if if it if it is a thing that comes out, and like we, one of the things we're very careful with, and we'll be ha- we'll be doing with this book, is we're sending it off to sensitivity readers. Mm. Um, okay. We're getting a raft of them involved. Yeah, um, and just we are we are painfully me. aware that we are writing effectively. We are two white men writing a game about predominantly black women, and we yeah. just we we didn't we didn't want to, we don't want to do a misstep. You know, we don't want to yeah. offend anybody. We want to tell a good story. Yeah. Uh, and, and also, I think we want to give people the tools to tell that story as well. Yeah, for sure. and, you know, explore that. Um, and like, part of me, part of me does feel quite bad about that situation. In that, you know, maybe, maybe I should be stepping down and making room for 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 black female authors to write. Um, and I certainly try and support um, as many female authors as I can. Yeah. Uh, but it's I don't know. Like, I guess I guess I, I guess I had this idea, and it's transformed into into something that we are certainly no longer writing about our our. our life experiences 
Mm-hmm. Um, but I think there's an interesting story which can be told there. Um, and absolutely, working to we're keen to be as sensitive and understanding as possible. Um, which and is also, I mean, as I, I'm not the most um, cosmopolitan of people. Like I grew up in a you live in the woods. I live in the woods mm-hmm. in a small village in England. Mm-hmm. Like there's not I, I I don't get out very much. And so for me, like as a person, this game has actually done a lot of really good stuff. Like it's had me researching a lot of a lot of history that I've had no education in. Yeah. Um, and and learning about it and learn and learning how to be sensitive and how to uh, become more aware of of issues that I'm not faced with. It's an ongoing um, struggle and one we yeah. try to help each other out. And... Yeah, no, I think that's that's very important as well. As yeah. and, like, and, it, and it's, it's, it's difficult because it's, it's like we've come here. So you, a woman, can you give us a medal for for, for writing about women? <laughs> and we we don't want to be like that. It's, it's it's a really uncomfortable situation to be in. But I think I think oh, yeah. overall the 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 games which which will be created out of this work will be worth the difficult situation. Yeah, they will be positive. I hope. Awesome. That's really cool, you guys. Um, we're also, also like one thing as well as as we grow as a publisher, we're really interested in getting um, minority voices and giving them a place to write. And uh, we're interested in basically becoming an indie record label for games. Cool. Um, and so, if someone's got a crackerjack idea for a game, we can go. All right, cool. Well, we're two brilliant game designers. Also, we we know artists, we know producers, we know mm-hmm. layout people, and we can make this happen and um, basically earn money off them. I'd like yeah, to point out. Yeah, and earn them more money than we, and I want to stress right. Jesus, like, it really came out wrong. If, 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 if you go on our website, you can see our like um, values. Co- our values and our core tenets. And one of the ones very high up there is everybody gets paid. Yeah, and like, we, we're fed up of this this concept of exposure as payment. Like, go to hell. Go to hell. You know, actual money is payment. Um, it's fun to be able to eat, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, isn't it? It's an absolute treat. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and so, like, we we make sure we pay everybody, and we pay everybody their dues, um, which is expensive. Yeah, turns it out, is. sure. <laughs> you know, but it's worth this, it. This is the life we chose. But also, yeah. we get when whenever we we tell people up front, like, this is this is how much you're getting paid, or this is your your cup, whatever. Mm-hmm. We get better work. Yeah, because like if you if you're like, well, we, what we'll do is we'll do a tweet about you. <laughs> Nobody's going to care. Nobody's going to put yeah. the, their best work into that. Whereas, like, okay, so we'll be paying you, you know, six thousand pounds mm. an hour. Yeah. I don't know. What? Uh, <laughs> isn't that what you're getting? Is that, is, is, are those your new rates? Yeah, yeah. I've gone uh, up in the world, boy. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Um, getting real fancy. I mean, yeah. those caviar sandwiches. Then, it's very fancy woods he lives in. Yeah. Yeah. Like he lives in Elephant Woods. woods. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, well, since uh, you mentioned it, actually, where can we find your website and where can we find you guys online? Grant. Okay. Um, we are, why, why have you picked me? Are you, are you just worried I'll say it wrong? No. <laughs> okay. Uh, you can find us at rowanrookanddeckard.com, um, and that's Deckard without a K, D-E-C-A-R-D. Uh, that, is our, that is our company name. Uh, there you can okay. download all of our games, most of them for free, um, especially with one-pagers. Um, and it, it has some details about our company. Um, when this goes out, I believe, hopefully, it will have a link to our Kickstarter uh, and some more information about the Spire, people wanting to learn some more. Um, and we're, we're looking to get some, some actual play videos 
done. Ooh, um, okay. We've got a so we we, we recorded an episode with Six Feet Under uh, last night. So we have we have we have so if people are interested in listening to what it how it actually plays, we can do that. You know, they can go and listen to that. Um, but we were looking at getting some videos up online because people love videos. Yeah, yeah, and they're so hard to make, <laughs> <laughs> especially That's when why. you look like me. <laughs> The camera just slips right off you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Vaseline lens doesn't cover it. <laughs> um, Excellent. But yeah, yeah. And crucially, one of the other things that's on that website is our email addresses. Yeah. Oh, good. So, okay. you know, if if people listening to this do have good ideas, please feel free to say. <laughs> yeah, we are, we are interested, and also like if, if if you're an artist, if you're a layout person, if you are a game designer, we're interested in chatting. We're interested in making that connection. So when we are no longer going hand to mouth on a yearly Kickstarter. We can look at helping uh, raise other people up and um, setting up some sort of label, as it were. Yeah, and even but if it's just touched. even if it's just putting two people in contact. Yeah. You know, like I've I've got a project that's X. Actually, I've got an artist that would do that oh, perfectly. Yeah. yeah. Cool. You know, anything we can do to help. Professional middlemen. Yeah. Hey. Yeah. I like it. All the credit, none of the work. if only cool well um is there anything else that you guys want to make sure we touch on um i'd like to plug one last thing if that's okay absolutely Um, if you've enjoyed chris and i um talking Mm -hmm. about uh about about role-playing games and stumbling through um social justice concerns then you'll love hearty dice friends which is our (laughs) podcast Yay. Um, our podcast. Um, so, sorry. Yes, it is. Yeah, um, it's our podcast. Uh, we have a weekly role playing advice podcast where we uh, we answer questions from listeners and from Reddit. If we run out of questions from listeners, um, and oh we it's, it's an hour long podcast, and we answer maybe four or five questions an, ep- an episode. We don't really go into a lot of we we, we tangent a lot. Yeah, you um, you remember how I mentioned fractions? <laughs> sorry, that happens. Time, it turns out. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> but, um, but we, uh, we, 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 we're having some fun recording. And if, if, if you like listening to two bumbling Englishmen, then um, that's the podcast for you. Plus, we've got a really nice little community kind of springing up around we it. We do, yeah. We've got, we've got a little Discord. Like currently, but currently the Discord is beeping, and like everyone in the Hearty Dice Friends Discord is talking about hockey. Yeah, we we need to stamp down on that, Chris, because that's not related to us or games. That is true. I just yeah. I should just post more pictures of my face. Yeah, I'm, I'm just going to pop in to delete that chat. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Rule with an iron fist. <laughs> well, thank you both so much for thank doing you for this. having this us. This is oh, thank you. Oh, it's if you know better. what, it's it's really rare someone asks us to come and blow our own trumpets. It's really nice. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, it's wonderful. I'm I am super into this game. I am very excited. So, well, um, thank you. We'll, we'll, we'll let you know when everything's happening. And uh, thank you so much for having us. And hopefully we will um, see you soon. We haven't seen you yet. This is all over yeah. the internet. <laughs> um, One hopefully, of these days. Hopefully we'll hear you soon. Huge thanks again to Grant and Chris for being on the show. I seriously loved what I've read so far and can't wait to dig into the finished setting. Their Kickstarter will launch Tuesday, July 17th. All links are in the show notes and we'll share the campaign on the Twitter account. Just a reminder that the whole network will be at Gen Con next month, and oh my god, it's in a month. <laughs> and in addition to several panels, we do have details on a meetup Saturday night at the JW Marriott. Details for all of that can be found on Modifier's Twitter or OneShot RPG's Twitter. That's it for this week, heroes. You can find Modifier mostly on Twitter at Modifier Podcast. We also have a Tumblr, Facebook, and G+, with varying levels of upkeep success. 
all under the same Modifier podcast name. You can email me directly with questions, comments, or show suggestions at modifierpodcast at gmail.com. Modifier is a proud member of the OneShot Podcast Network, an incredible family of RPG podcasts that include shows like OneShot, Campaign, Backstory, Adventure, Neoscum, System Mastery, and Talking Tabletop. One Shot is an actual play podcast where host James D'Amato leads a rotating cast of improvisers, game designers, and other notable nerds through a variety of role-playing games. Every month, One Shot plays a new game with a new cast of players. Find out more about all these shows at OneShotPodcast.com. Modifier's theme music was created by my favorite Bothan, Cat Greenfield, whose myriad talents are on display at CatGreenfield.com. Join me again in two weeks for another episode of Modifier. See you then.